Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Talk Dental to Me podcast. On this podcast, we talk about all the dental topics you wish you knew more about, what you want to hear more about, and topics that will challenge your practice and help you flourish as a clinician. My name is Emma. I'm an oral health therapist based in Melbourne, Australia. I'm your host. Thank you so much for making episode 38 a part of your week. So at the time of recording, it is exactly one month till the FDI Congress in Sydney, and I will be there all four days with Curaprox. So if you're going to be there, come say hello. And also I thought I'd share today, I went to an EMS dental course this weekend, and it was the Mastering Preventative Dentistry around the GBT protocol, use of the airflow and the perioflow. And it was really helpful. I definitely learned a few new tips and tricks, even though I've been using the airflow for a few years now. So even if you just want to learn about the airflow and the technology, I highly recommend getting to the course. And it's also really affordable. So I just thought I'd share that with you guys. So getting onto the podcast, our guest today is none other than the knowledgeable Stephanie Chang. She is the year one clinical coordinator of the Bachelor of Oral Health course at the University of Melbourne. So that's the university that I also went to. Steph has extensive experience and dedication to shaping the next generation of oral health professionals. She has been within the education sphere of oral health for a few years now. So we're in for a really inspiring conversation today. So we'll be getting into the journey that led Steph to the world of university education and just get little insights into the evolving landscape of oral health education at the university level. So you may be a prospective student for the Bachelor of Oral Health, or you might be an educator who's eager to learn from Steph, or you might just want to know a little bit more about the behind the scenes of oral health education. So you're in for a treat this episode. So without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation. Hi, Steph. Welcome to the Talk Dental to Me podcast. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today because I have had quite a few people message me on Instagram wanting to look for a bit of variety in the week. And one of the topics that have come up is education. So I am very, very proud of you watching you grow and transition into where you are today. So I know a lot about you because I've known you for quite a long time, but for everyone else listening, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are now as a clinical coordinator in Bachelor of Oral Health? Yeah, absolutely. I studied at Melbourne University and graduated in 2012 and I moved back to Geelong and worked there for a little bit. Um, After about a year and a half, I decided to move to England and work over there for a couple of years just to experience some public-private work over there. So in England, it's like a you become a dental hygienist and a dental therapist. They're separate still. Then I moved back to Melbourne and started working there, and that's when I got a bit itchy and decided I needed something else. So I started looking around to see what my options were, and education is something I've always been a bit interested in, so... Yeah, just started applying for jobs. I started at Holmes Glen, which is a TAFE institute, um, and Charles Sturt University run oral health therapy program out of that. So I worked for Charles Sturt University for three years there. And now I'm at Melbourne Uni and I'm oral health practice clinical coordinator there for the first year students, which is awesome. 
Beautiful. And I remember when we worked together, Steph, you were always so great with taking the new dental assistants and new staff under your wing and you like were a natural teacher. What helped you realize out of all the things that you could potentially do, you wanted to be in the education space? That's a good question. I do love teaching and I think you're right. I discovered that when I was working with you and working with not you in particular, but with the new DAs that we had coming on board and I would train Mm. them up and I just loved, you know, seeing them learn and I was like, I need to do more of this. (laughs) I love that. I think it's also nice to change up your week a little bit. It makes my life a lot more interesting Mm. having clinical work and education. So, yeah. Absolutely. And what does a typical week look like for you at the moment? I'm working at Melbourne Uni 0.8, so that's four days a week. So I work there Mondays and Tuesdays. Mondays, I am in the teaching clinic with the first year students at the moment. We're doing student-on-student activities, so supervising checkups. The students are doing that on each other. And then Tuesdays, I'm in the simulation clinic and lecturing. So the simulation clinic, at the moment, we're doing occlusal, moderate occlusal caries removal and restorations. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a really big cohort this year. It's 73 students. So I'm working between, it is large. So we're working between two labs and I'm on the microphone and the screens. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's like being on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then Wednesdays, that's my clinical day. So I work privately in the city and I see my favorite patients. And then I'm back at Melbourne on Thursdays and Fridays. So back in the sim and working with some of my component conveners on their subjects as well. So just like in the clinic with them. You keep busy, girl. Oh, it is busy, but it's just the best thing. Highly I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're so passionate about it. And yeah. in terms of being a clinical coordinator or being in the education space, is there a prerequisite to actually remain working clinically or are you free to do whatever you want? In my job, because I'm a coordinator of a clinical subject, I do need to have a clinical element. So I'll mm-hmm. always need to work Makes clinically. Sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I think it makes you a better teacher because I can say to students when I see my patients, this is how I do it. And it Mm -hmm. also means I always have a patient in mind. So when my students are working on the mannequin heads and they, you know, start resting their arms over their patients or, you know, they've got Mm -hmm. their patients up too high and the patient's head is right in their chest. (laughs) It just keeps you aware of those things when you're doing it yourself. So, yeah, for the clinical subjects, you do need to be working clinically, but there are other subjects like science subjects and um, like, you know, society and health subjects, health promotion, where you probably don't need that clinical element as much. So it depends what you're interested in. Mm. And from your knowledge in terms of the other lecturers and course coordinators, do most people still work clinically or is there a lot of people that are completely in the education space now? I'd say probably three quarters of the people are still working clinically Mm. um, and some of them are fully education or they work in education and they also work sort of at higher levels, you know, in community health or running programs like Smile Squad or, you know, running things like DHSV, um, Dental Health Services Victoria. So I don't think anyone works full-time as an educator, but not everyone has a clinical element when they do their other day. There's lots Mm. of variety in what people do with that other day. We've got quite a few researchers on the team as well, so people doing PhDs and all Mm -hmm. sorts of things. That's awesome. Well, I guess it sort of makes sense, right? Like you still want real-world and real-time examples to be able to 
relate to your students or come yeah. back with them with, you know, different ways to do things and new products. So it definitely makes sense to have a mix of the both there. And with teaching, what do you find the most rewarding about it? There would be so many rewarding things, but if you had to pick. Oh, you're right. I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> We've got time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably the most rewarding would be when the students have that moment where they finally get what I'm trying to teach them. So teaching first year is the foundations in dental, right? So mm. if you don't understand the different layers of the tooth and how caries progresses, it can be difficult for students to understand anything beyond that. So mm-hmm. once students can put all of their different subjects together and link all of their different subjects, all the science behind why they remove caries or don't remove caries, just when they get that aha moment, I'm like, yes, mm. you finally get it. The other thing I really like is when students come to me with questions that show an understanding as well. Mm. So you can tell that they've gone home and they've had a really good think about what they have been taught and they're trying to figure it out and they just have a a very specific question that just helps their understanding. So it's nice to see when the students are really engaging with the content and studying. So good. And that's Mm. one thing I feel like I probably didn't do through uni is ask enough questions or email my lecturers and course coordinators. So for everyone listening, do students reach out to you a lot, Steph, like via email? And I'm sure it does happen a lot. They do a little bit. I think there's some students who are more confident to ask me questions than others. And Mm. I think when they do ask questions, it's always, well, I try to make it rewarding for them because I want people to ask me questions. But I'm also aware that some of them are a bit scared to ask questions still. So Mm. we try to make ourselves as approachable as possible, but it is a bit of a scary environment. Um, But our philosophy is there's no stupid questions and we're happy to answer anything. Mm. Um, doesn't mean that we're going to give you the quest- the answer straight away. We might make you think about it for a bit, but yeah, we're not trying to make anyone feel bad for asking questions. So mm. yeah, I love it when students will come to me and ask things. It means they feel more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, students ask questions. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely that first year student who just, I was very much still coming out of my shell going through university. So I know looking yeah. back now, be like, wow, it's funny, you know, you grow and evolve and you really grow into yourself over the years. But yeah, whoever's listening, ask questions if you're a student. (laughs) That's right. I think you're right. A lot of them, especially at Melbourne Uni, are school leavers too. So they are Mm. still growing up and learning who they are and getting that confidence. So I can see why, you know, some of them might be a bit hesitant. Mm. But yeah, I was like that too. And because we like to keep it real on the podcast, if you had to pick What's the most difficult part of teaching? Mm, That's hard too. I think lately where being a coordinator, there's a lot of moving parts, especially being at such a large school like Melbourne University. Mm. So I don't just have to worry about what I'm teaching, but I have to think about my component conveners and how that fits in with the rest of the Bachelor of Oral Health uh, years and how that works in with Doctorate of Dental Science as well. So sometimes it can be hard to keep up with everything I need to do. So I've just got so many lists and reminders, pop, like reminders that pop up on my phone so that I, mm-hmm. I try not to let anything go. But sometimes it can feel like I'm just keeping up with it and other times I feel like I'm good and I'm on top of it. And then sometimes something might 
jump up and surprise me. And I'm like, oh yeah, better do that. (laughs) I'm like that too with my phone. It needs to go on my calendar. It needs to be written down somewhere. Otherwise, just life in general, you've got so many things floating around in in your head and it's impossible, I guess, to keep on top of absolutely everything all the time. We're all human, but. Yeah, that makes me feel better. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You're so welcome. I think in your position, could you so passionate about what you do? Like it just all comes together at the end of the day and it's all worth it. So. Yeah. I feel like sometimes even if I'm not as prepared as I'd hoped I could be, it's still, I think having experience teaching helps anyway. Like I can put things together pretty quickly now. So that's useful. Mm. Flavor toothpaste is one of my original dental obsessions and if you've been listening to the podcast for a while you guys know this and High Smile have done it again with four new flavors you and your whole family will love with strawberry, grape, bubblegum, banana and vanilla. I'm telling you you will definitely fall in love with one of these flavors to treat your teeth with. With High Smile's proprietary Fluorad Plus formula, xylitol and zinc lactate to help prevent tartar, it's a sweet treat that's actually good for you and your patient's teeth too. It's available exclusively in store with Chemist Warehouse till October 15th, so go grab yours today. Because how many years have you been teaching now? I started teaching in 2019, so it's been four years and compared to some of my colleagues, that is very fresh still. The experience I've had so far has been useful. So I I hope that I continue to grow because watching some of my colleagues, the more experienced ones, it's like they're magicians. I don't know how they do it. (laughs) That's going to be you one day. (laughs) I hope so. They're so full of ideas and their problem solving skills are amazing. I've been sending superwoman emojis to some of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got great mentors. I think if there's any students listening, like Julie Sater's still there, Julie Owen's still there, and being staff graduated in 2012 and 2013. So they're OGs in the game and probably will be there for a very long time still. So that's you one day, Steph. Yeah, yeah. There's heaps that have been there from the beginning. Yeah. Mm. It's nice to see them all again. (laughs) And I'm sure there are people listening to this actually wanting to know, okay, this sounds like it's up my alley. I think I want to pursue a path that you have, Steph. What would you say are the main requirements for someone wanting to apply for a demonstrating or lecturing position? I think the first thing is you need to be really passionate about what you're teaching. So you need Mm. to love your job and love teeth and love oral health therapy. Yes. I think people need to have a bit of a kind element as well because we've talked about how students can be scared about asking questions. So Mm. when they do build the courage to come and ask us a question, we need to, you know, meet that with kindness and encouragement. Mm. As for experience, I think the reason I was able to get in to teaching was I had quite a varied experience. I've worked publicly, privately, overseas with specialists. Mm. Um, so I think that makes me an attractive teacher because I've got experience to pass on to other yeah. other people. But yeah, I really think passion for the subject is a big one. Mm. I have so many tooth things like badges and key rings. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's a bit weird. I get around with teeth in my bag. If anyone looked through my bag, they would just think I was some crazy person. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. Floss in every backpack. Oh, yeah. In your glove box. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cannot live without it. (laughs) 
Same girl. And in terms of being at a point in your career and then applying for it, you can't, you know, be fresh out six months practicing and then apply for an education job. What's sort of the minimum across the board? Do you think I'm sure all the universities are different, but how many yeah. years? Yeah, I'd say the universities are different. I'd say probably a minimum of three years experience and you could get mm-hmm. to like demonstrate a job working in the simulation clinic. Mm-hmm. And then the more experience you have, the more we can use the teacher. So, um, you know, moving up into those higher positions and directly supervising students in the clinic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd say probably a minimum of three years. Three years for demonstrating. And how about lecturing? I think it depends. It helps if you've done any further education as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, probably five or six. Yes. Yeah. So would that be like a diploma or master's in education or like could, could it be like a mm-hmm. master's in public health, which I feel like a lot of yeah. OHTs go on and do? Yeah, they do. I think it can be anything that shows that you're interested in education. During COVID, I did a certificate for in training and assessment. Oh, great. Which is like a TAFE qualification. And there is still hygiene programs taught in TAFE, and that's a prerequisite for working at TAFE. Mm -hmm. So even something as simple as that, but yeah, graduate certificates in university teaching or masters, but you don't have to have those things to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. It's just a good thing to have. It just shows that you're interested in it and that you've got a little bit to create a lecture or to build on lecture material that's coming from something that's more evidence-based. So yeah, that's always something good for people to have, Mm. but not necessary. No, that, that makes sense. And I guess being an educator, it's such an important role, like you're shaping the next generation of clinicians. So yeah, I think it's just something that you would have to take very, very seriously and that want someone who could show or can say, hey, I've done this. Like I'm actually really passionate about it. It's not just something that I thought about yesterday and I thought I'd apply for it. You've actually gone and done something that proves your passion in that particular sphere in our profession. Yeah, exactly. I think the other thing that really helps, a weird thing that's helped me in education is I've come from a performance background as well. So I'm really used to talking in front of large crowds. Public speaking, yeah. I love public speaking. Like when I have all of the students quiet in the sim listening to me, it's like that's my place. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, and like you need to have the type of voice that does demand people to listen because otherwise people Mm. don't learn anything, right? So yeah. 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 You've got to be comfortable with people listening to you. And I make mistakes all the time and just laugh at yourself if you do it. The students aren't judging. They're all, they know that we're human. But yeah, being comfortable talking in front of crowds is particularly important. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes you stand in those lecture theatres and 75 people, like even when I went to Melbourne University to speak to the first years, Mm. standing in Gene Theatre, I was like, goodness, it looks so different standing from up here and 75 looked like a lot. So It was full. You can definitely, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'm quite used to, you know, speaking on the podcast or on social media, whatever, but speaking to a crowd of people in real life is completely different. It's a whole other level. So I guess food for thought for people who are wanting to head into that space as well. You could be speaking to groups of, well, you know, if you're speaking to dental students, which some OHTs do, there could be over 100 people in the room. Yeah. Mm. And you also end up speaking in front of a lot of academics. 
So, which I find can be more daunting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we present things to each other and have conferences and things. So yeah, there's a lot of public speaking involved. Mm. And going off on what we we're just talking about, I, we've already touched base on it a little bit, but are there any particular skills you recommend someone who wants to enter the teaching space be working on? So number one, maybe public speaking could be one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably a good idea to work out whether teaching something that you actually enjoy. So try mm. taking some new DAs under your wing and see if you enjoy teaching them how dentistry works because they need to learn quite a few things. At first, you just need to learn as well, like basic charting and tooth mm. anatomy and, yeah, some of it can be similar. So if you think you might be interested, try that. If you enjoy it, then maybe it is worth exploring getting into the education scene. But like, Mm. I don't think if I'm an oral health therapist and I teach oral health therapy, but oral health therapists can teach other people as well. If you really enjoy teaching DAs, you could go into a TAFE and teach DAs. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of pathways. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of the skills. What else? Mm. Mm. Organization. How do you work on that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. You would, like you said earlier, you're juggling a lot of different things. It's not just the students. It's everyone else in the course and then some. Yeah. Maybe if that is really overwhelming to someone, maybe a clinical coordinator position is maybe not the best. You might find yourself maybe loving demonstrating more or lecturing more, but I guess some of these things you don't really find out until you start the position, but I guess you'd know yourself enough at that point in your career to know what you may or may not enjoy. Like if you don't particularly like taking new DAs under your wing, then maybe that's appointed to you that maybe you should be focusing on something else. Like I'm sure there's things that you could pick up yourself in clinic that'll Mm. give you a red flag or green flag towards whatever whatever you're thinking of doing. Yeah, that's right. Well, if a person prefers working with patients but they still want to teach, a good medium is to work in the student clinic. So you still get to supervise students. You're still teaching but you get to see patients as well. So I find that a lot of the supervisors really enjoy that element of teaching at Melbourne and that might be something that you're more interested rather than like my role is partially administrative as well. So that's where I have to be Mm -hmm. very organised. Yes, absolutely. And in terms of demoing, I mean, the hours would probably differ. Is it like one or two days a week? What does it look like for someone who may apply? It depends. So our staff are part-time. So we've got some that are part-time that only do one day because that's what fits with their schedule. And then we have others that are on three or four days. So we've tried Mm -hmm. to get a nice little team. We don't want it to be too big. Yeah. And actually most of them are now working at least two days with us. And when they're demonstrating, it doesn't mean that they're always working with first year. They will maybe work in the sim with first year and then they might be seeing patients with the second years. And then we might ask them to do like a little case study tutorial with the third years. So it's cool at Melbourne how we've got all three years in the same location, not even though the third Mm. years are out on placement a lot of the time, but it's nice to be able to jump across the different years and help out and see how the students are all going. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it gives clinical coordinators different like overviews and you get different feedback from different lecturers etc but then also would give consistency to everyone across the board as well yeah absolutely oh well that's so great Steph honestly I've just 
loved watching you grow over the years and watching you transition into the fantastic lecturer you are today. And even seeing you when I went to Unimab to visit, I was so proud seeing you up there inspiring all the new and keen, fresh-faced OHTs, and they're really, really blessed to have you guiding them. So if anyone listening wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach you? You can send me an email. So I am at stephanie.chang at unimalb.edu.au. I'm pretty good with my emails, so I should get back to you soonish. <laughs> Beautiful. But remember, guys, Steph has a lot of emails to get back to, lots of admins. So it's true. <laughs> Cut us some slack if she doesn't get back to you ASAP. <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best, but it might take me a little bit. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Em. This has been really fun. Oh, it has been fun. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please do share it with others in your network who might also find it helpful. Thank you so, so much for being here and listening to the podcast. Your support means a lot to me and I hope the podcast continues to help you. And I can't wait to hear what you think. So tag me at Emma Talks Teeth and at Talk Dental To Me Podcast with your main takeaways. Until next time, everybody, take care. Bye.